these things all work together very smoothly and will really help build um, your relationship together and create a better sense of um, just empathy towards your horse and understanding and really perpetuate that idea of being kinder in our interactions with our horse. Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Willing Equine podcast. I'll be recording this episode in my car, so the audio may not be super clear. And sometimes I have my kids with me, so if you hear a little bit from them, I apologize, but hopefully you can still enjoy the podcast. I'd love to hear from you after you listen to the podcast, so feel free to comment on any of my social media platforms or email me or even send me an anchor voice message. I was talking with a friend the other day, actually a couple of friends, and um, I was reminded of how unsympathetic and unkind we can be in the horse world. Uh, Growing up traditionally, I had a lot of exposure to some really rough handling with horses and some just general lack of kindness and empathy towards these animals that are really very sensitive And a lot of it was due to misunderstanding and not knowing what we know now. Uh, Things like that we didn't know that pulling their manes was quite uncomfortable for them. I mean, it feels very similar to when we were to have our own hair pulled out. So, um, and we have research to back this up and that we, we thought that their skin was tougher and thicker than ours. Um, so therefore it was okay to hit on them harder or use spurs harder, whatever it was. But now we have research to show that their skin is actually more sensitive than ours is. So there were a lot of things that I grew up understanding and being told that I just kind of went with and I didn't know what I was doing to my horse because of these this understanding, this lack of understanding or a certain type of understanding. And as I learned more, I did better and I improved the way I worked with my horses and and interacted with them and all of that. But One thing, um, you know, I talk a lot about training with positive reinforcement and clicker training and all that, which I'm 100% advocate for, and I am obsessed with it, and I think if you give it a try, you'll become obsessed too. Um, It's like a whole different world, and it's just a way different way of communicating and building relationships with our horses to the point where you can't imagine anything else anymore. After you've been in it for a while, it's just like, what? how did I used to do anything I used to do? But... For a lot of us and a lot of people who are not sure about working with positive reinforcement or they're still transitioning over, they really want to keep showing or, um, or maybe they don't have the option to, maybe we're working in a, um, a traditional facility as a, you know, an intern or a groom or a trainer, assistant trainer or something, or maybe we lease horses that are not our own or take riding lessons on school horses where we can't train with positive reinforcement clicker training. There's a lot of things we can still do, though, or this is kind of the point of this podcast episode, is I want to talk through some of the ideas of how you can make your horse's life better, um, even though they're not your own, or even if they are your own and you're not ready to make that switch over to positive reinforcement. And in general, just the concept or the idea that I want to go over in this episode is how we can be kinder, how we can be kinder to our horses, regardless of, you know, what form of operant conditioning we're using, whether or not we, you know, understand the quadrants and, you know, all of this stuff. Um, 
And even if maybe, you know, there's a lot of really ethically minded trainers that I 100% respect that don't train with positive reinforcement, that they use uh, negative reinforcement and they're very patient and systematic about it and everything. And I have no problem with that. If that's what, you know, you feel, you know, you've done your research, you've studied, you've practiced, you've been hands-on with both approaches and you really just feel like this might be the better approach for you go, you know, please, you know, feel free. And I'm 100% respectful of that. Um, but there are some general ideas. There are some general concepts, some general things we can do regardless of whether we train with positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement, um, or any other thing that we can do to help our horses, um, experience life a little bit in a little bit kinder way and, you know, enjoy their lives a little bit more. Um, and we're going to go into very specific actions that we can do as well as more broad concepts, more broad generalized ideas. So let's get started. Um, one of the first ideas that I'm going to, uh, attribute this to my friend bringing this up. And so, um, I can't take full credit for it, but I was just reminded of just simple actions of, um, when you're removing a bit. So if you have a bit in your horse, if you're not using a bitless, if you're using a bitted bridle, um, when you remove your bit, try not to let it fall out of your horse's mouth. Let it slowly, you know, let the horse tell you when they're ready to let go of the bit so that the bit doesn't hit their teeth. I don't know if you've ever had metal hit your teeth, but it is not comfortable. It is very painful. And um, horses have, they have all the same nerves in their teeth that we do. They have sensitive mouths uh, and they experience pain in their mouths as well so regardless of the bitless and bit uh, bit conversation or argument if you're using a bit try and be very patient and kind and thoughtful about the removal of the bit from your horse's mouth and I think that will go a long way to help your horse especially if you're dealing with a horse that has um, any headshot eye issues or doesn't like to accept the bit it could be that they don't want the bit in their mouth because of how it's removed after so they know once it goes in it has to come back out it's just a natural process a conditioning process where they connect the dots um, so if the removal is uncomfortable then putting it in is not going to be their favorite thing so removing the bit uh, very carefully is one we could also take time to warm up our bits to make them a little bit warmer in the really cold months. Um, having them in a temperature-controlled tack room or using some sort of warming thing. There's like uh, these things that you can like crack open or open up and then they heat up. They're like they use them to go in like your gloves or your pockets or something. You could put that around your bit. Just don't make it hot. You know, you just want it to be comfortable and warm. You could put it in warm water too. There are a lot of options for warming up your bit. Um, sometimes people have even found good results with flavoring their bits, so putting flavored stuff on the bits to help it taste a little bit better going into the horse's mouth. If that's something you want to take that extra step, absolutely go ahead. Um, that might really help your horse out a lot. Another idea is to um, be respectful and conscious of the level of communication and awareness of your horse and so that's kind of a broad this is a broad thing that we're going to talk about but it's in traditional training um, and even I've seen it in positive reinforcement I've seen it a lot in horse people in general let's just put it that way in horse people in general and horse training in general we get hyper focused on our horse paying attention to us our horse 
fixating on us, never looking away, always being attentive, always being ready to respond to cues, always being like on spot, right? They're supposed to have two eyes on us and be ready to go anytime we feel like walking um, and then stand still when we feel like standing, right? And so we'll just be standing there and then all of a sudden we'll just start walking and our horse is supposed to come with us and if they don't recognize that we've started walking, they'll hit the end of the lead rope um, or they get left behind. And it's just a very... Uh, rude thing and then also it's double standards because at the same time we get extremely frustrated irritated upset consider it rude disrespectful dangerous all these things when our horses start doing things without our um, participation when they just start walking off when they just stop without us cueing them you know so there's this we talk about having a relationship with our horses and having a two-way communication a two-way conversation and being mutually respectful and all of that but there are a lot of subtle things that we do to our horses and expect of our horses that really make it seem like we have this huge superiority complex and that we really don't care about them as much as we say we do. And we may not even realize that we're doing it. And we may have the deepest respect and care for our horses out there, but maybe our actions are not reflecting that. So, and I don't think horses understand the concept of respect. That's a human construct. It's a human idea, but I am just expressing to you the importance of letting your horse communicate to you when they need to do something, whether it's moving forward or stopping and you respecting that. So I'm really talking about us respecting them. So it's okay that we're using a human construct or label or a term or whatever you want to call it, because we're talking about us and our way of interacting with the horse. Um, so paying attention to the horse and what they need. And also when we want to go somewhere, when we want to walk forward or we want to stop or we want to ask them to trot or we want to, you know, ask them to turn to give them a heads up and to give them time to respond. So a lot of times when I'm getting ready to ask my horse to trot, I will give them a verbal cue. I'll say ready. And that I I can see them. I can see them perk up. They're like, Oh, we're going to trot. And then I'll cue the trot and then we'll start trotting. And it's this beautiful, smooth transition. Absolutely. Like rarely is there any delay. They've prepared themselves. They're ready to go. And then I ask for the trot. So it's like, you're looking at the human next to you in this conversation. Um, and, let's say there's two people and you're you're side by side with your bff right you're just walking together like and you're getting ready you're on a jog let's say you're on a morning jog you guys exercise every morning together and um you look beside to your friend and you say are you ready to start jogging and then they're like okay just one second okay now i'm ready and then you guys start jogging together that's the type of communication we need to be having with our horses Um, and you can come up with all kinds of different ways of creating this type of communication my my what I'm trying to express to you is the importance of not just abandoning your horse and expecting them to be in this hypervigilant, like really intense, like, Oh my gosh, what is she going to do next? Because if I get left behind or if I'm not ready all the time, I'm going to get punished for it or I'm going to hit the end of a rope or whatever. Something's going to be uncomfortable, increased pressure, whatever it is. Um, even with positive reinforcement, there's not that increased pressure, so to speak, like the negative reinforcement pressure, and there's not the positive punishment that follows, but there could be a negative punishment aspect. And I talked about this in a previous podcast episode, um, actually the exact previous one, the anyway communication errors is what it's called um where 
we just walk off and we don't give them a cue. We don't communicate to them what we want or what we, what we're going to be doing and they can experience some negative punishment. So it's a different type of punishment where you are removing the access to a reinforcer. You're taking away something that the animal wants or needs or likes. Um, and it acts as a punisher. So think about it like when you put, you know, two kids are fighting over a toy and you take the toy away. That's a negative punishment situation. So Similar things can happen with our horses. So with positive reinforcement, we still need to be very, very mindful of this. And we need to cue everything that we want from the horse and prep them for what we are going to cue. So having this respectful two-way conversation, regardless of the type of training you work with, is really important for improving that level of relationship and respect for your horse and your horse having a better relationship with you and um, and and um showing kindness towards them, showing uh, understanding for what they are having to figure out and problem solve and come up with and and all these things that we expect them to juggle. Um, So that's another area that you can work on. Another really just easy, practical application way of working with this idea of improving our kindness towards our horses and our empathy towards them is... Um, respecting or understanding discomfort during grooming in different ways. So one I mentioned earlier was mane pulling. I highly discourage mane pulling. It's very uncomfortable for horses. And I have every time I've worked with a horse that has been previously had their mane pulled regularly. And then I give them a choice whether or not. So I always I do consent-based grooming. So if my horse doesn't necessarily want that type of grooming or this type of grooming, they are free to communicate to me that that's not something that they want right now. So taking this into consideration where my horses have full autonomy to tell me what's comfortable and not comfortable, um, whenever I work with a horse that has been previously had their mane pulled regularly, whenever they're eventually given a choice even just to have their mane brushed, not pulled anymore, they uh, not pulled at this point, uh, they will usually decline. And they, it takes a very, very, very long time to recondition them to the idea that having their mane brushed gently is very different from having their mane pulled and that it's not going to be as uncomfortable as it was before. So as much as some horses tolerate it better than others and we can make our horses stand still for it and that the the show you know fashion is to have a pulled mane rather than a cut mane um i think it's really unkind of us to be continuing to do something just for fashion's sake that we understand is painful for our horses and so there are ways that you can cut your horse's mane that make it look more like a pulled mane Um, there are lots of different tools out there there are different techniques I haven't you know I I, even in when I was showing in the hunter jumper world um, for a long time in dressage too I after the so for a while I was pulling my horse's mane but it just never sat right with me and there are a lot of things I did that I didn't catch on to so I'm not pretending like I have this some sort of extra level of empathy and I you know fought the the crowds and I went and did something that was abnormal and I'm this hero like like absolutely not I did so many things that I should have caught much earlier on I did but I didn't but mane pulling in general for whatever reason it really bothered me 
um, probably because I had a horse that expressed a lot of discomfort when his mane was pulled and so they would just twitch him and or sedate him to pull his mane and that oh it just hurts my soul look thinking back about that but I stopped mane pulling after a couple years I was really young at the time so I didn't know um, to tell my trainers and people to stop pulling his mane that I would do something else it was just what we did uh, and I couldn't fight them on it even though it was my horse and um, so with future horses I learned how to cut a mane so that it looked nearly identical to a pulled mane it's a little bit more challenging with a horse with a thick mane but you can do it there are ways of doing it uh, that make it look better and then honestly at some point we just need to change the fashion I mean and that's going to start with us so yes the fashion may be pulled manes but if we stop doing it and we start looking at we start admiring other fashionable statements then that's how things will change that's how it happens with fashion for people too, clothing and everything is uh, the people decide what they want to wear, what they like, and then the suppliers and the fashion and all that will, um, will change. It takes time, but it will change. So, uh, the other thing that kind of falls in line with this is whisker shaving and cutting. Um, I don't, in a lot of countries this is banned and it should be banned here in the U.S. where I live too. Um, we shouldn't be cutting the horse's whiskers. They need it for their sensory needs around their muzzle. They can't see directly underneath their muzzle and so the whiskers help them to feel the ground, to feel what they're eating, to feel everything. And there's articles on this. There's a lot of information on this. Um, I don't know whether it's painful to have them shaved off. I would imagine it's not super comfortable because they are very very sensitive with extreme amount of nerve endings and that's how they're able to sense what's underneath them and around them they feel through the vibrations of the whiskers just like your cat or dog does um but when and then when we go and shave them i mean the 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 rate the blades are i mean they're vibrating so i can't imagine it's super comfortable it's probably more obnoxious than painful but that's something that definitely is a fashion statement alone and serves no actual purpose to cut them off um there's and it's probably even a safety hazard to have them cut off so that's something we can do to help improve just the general um ethical treatment towards horses. It's a small action, but it's a really important one. So here we'll go into a little bit broader concepts. Um, so one of the ones that something that I do with all my horses, it doesn't matter what we're doing, how long we're doing it for, uh, I always provide some access to forage. So the only time I don't have something for them is if like we're in an active training session and um, and I've brought them into the barn or into the arena or whatever and even then I'm still training with food so I pretty much supply my horses food around the clock all the time. They can tie without food. We do practice this for short amounts of time where you know they'll be able to stand for five to ten minutes without a hay net or something like that but anytime I want to tie my horse to a trailer, if I take them somewhere, we're transporting um, we're going to the showgrounds or in a show stall. They have to wait in between classes. Whatever it is, doesn't matter. If there's any length of time over, let's say, well, let's put a general number on it. If any length of time over 15 to 30 minutes where they're just expected to be there or stand there or it doesn't matter what they're doing. If 15 to 30 minutes, um, there should be some sort of food provided for them, a forage-based food. So hay, uh, soaked uh, pellets, soaked 
hay cubes, um, alfalfa, something, a grass, something. They need something. So obviously if you're in an arena and you're training and you're, you know, your lesson, let's say a lot of dressage lessons are like 30 minutes to an hour, a lot of riding lessons. That's kind of 45 minutes as a general range. Uh, and you're not training with positive reinforcement, then I get it. You won't have food available. But the rest of the day, the day, they should have food available in their pasture, in their stall, whether they're tied up being groomed. They're, um, there's a whole, like all kinds of situations. I've seen horses tied to trailers for hours and hours at a time without food. And they'll have water but no food. Um, and, and for humans, that would work. For dogs, that even works uh, because they typically go longer periods without eating. They're a different species. For cats, it works. For a lot of animals, that works. That's fine that they have um, that they don't have food supplied all the time. But for horses, it doesn't work. They are designed to be eating all the time. You should pretty much assume that your horse needs food round the clock. And so, anytime we can offer them food, that is a huge bump up in the treatment of the horse and consideration for their species and what it is that they need. So, that's kind of takes it to the next level. And for me, actually, I consider that just basic care. So, it doesn't matter how you're training, it doesn't matter what you're doing, it doesn't matter where you're keeping your horse, what show competition, whatever, it doesn't matter. My horses should have food all the time. And that's kind of that's considered basic care to me. So, the other thing, another concept or a broad, I should say not really concept, but a broad idea, something that you can apply in many different areas of your relationship with your horse and your interactions with your horse is um, the understanding that horses are not trying to get away with anything, that they're not trying to be malicious or manipulative or intentionally difficult. I remember growing up, uh, and also my friend that I mentioned earlier brought this to memory, like she just brought it back up, but just taking riding lessons on school horses or with my own horse, it didn't really matter in my traditional upbringing. Um, I remember hearing this all the time, all the time. But trainers would shout at me, you know, if we cut the corner in a hunter jumper, you know, we're just going around and we cut through the corner. Don't let him get away with cutting the corners. Um, or, you know, my horse would refuse a fence. Don't let him get away with that. He's just trying to be difficult. And so many times, like, don't let him get away with that. Get away with what? Like, it's so, it's such a, a terrible phrase that just creates this sense of, uh, battle like the sense of contention between the rider or the their human that's interacting with them and the horse and it creates this me against the horse attitude it's me making the horse get through the corners because they're trying to sneak out it's me making the horse get over this fence because they're trying to get out of work it's me you know making this horse run to the left because they only want to want to run to the right and they're just trying to get one over on me it's me you know I have to not let my horse get away with snapping at me when I'm cinching him up like why why are we so determined to be at war with our horses when there are logical easily understood easily you know repaired reasons for everything the horse does every single one of these examples I just gave you there's a reason behind that and it has nothing to do with the horse trying to be malicious a horse trying a horse not going through the corners is a horse that hasn't been trained properly through a systematic and uh, approach to go through the corners 
and maybe isn't balanced. Maybe they don't understand how to balance themselves through the corner. So going through the corner seems uncomfortable. And also it's really unnatural for horses to go through corners like we expect them to. I'm not saying we shouldn't train them to go through corners, but we should be understanding of that. That is not a normal behavior for a horse to do. Just like it's not a normal behavior for a horse to run circles. It's just not. We don't see horses doing it in the wild. There's no such thing as fences and corners. And there's no such thing as running repetitive circles round and round and round. So these things have to be taught. They're not in they're not born into the horse the horse doesn't just know how to do them and then all of a sudden they're trying to get away with it because you asked them to do it no we have to train them how to do it and we have to look for reasons why they might not understand what it is that we're looking for um, for reasons that they may not understand what we're asking of them so if your horse is not going through the corner instead of thinking they're trying to get one over on you and be difficult Try and find a solution to help your horse understand what you're looking for. Maybe they sneak out of the corner at the canter, but they're better at the trot. Okay, so maybe they're unbalanced at the canter and they don't really understand how to maintain their balance through a corner. Maybe you're leaning to one side significantly, so they're having to struggle to catch you. Maybe their saddle isn't fitting, so it's making it really challenging for them to stretch out the outside and compress the inside to make it through a corner in a bend. Uh, maybe they are out somewhere like maybe they need an osteo adjustment or a chiropractic adjustment because the ribs are hurting maybe and this might show up more when they have a difficult time going through their corners on to the right but less of a difficult time going to the left you know there's there's so many variables to every situation and I can't possibly give you a one solution for all if I could I'd be a millionaire if I could fix everybody's problem with one <laughs> fix uh, with one solution but the, I guess you could say, though, that the idea that your horse is not trying to get one over on you and that there is a reason for what they are doing is the solution to your problem. Every single problem you have with your horse, the solution is, is that there is a reason for that behavior and we have to find a reason for the behavior and then we have to teach the horse the alternative behavior that we would like them to do and when we can do this then we can become really skilled and really kind and uh, effective trainers for our horses so really understanding this concept and this idea you can take it into anything you can take it into cinch you know cinching up problems girth sourness you can take it into being buddy sour you can take it into the um, not wanting to go into the arena you can take it to you know, uh, refusing jumps, all of these different ideas. Let's stop saying things like my horse is trying to get away with this, or my horse is, um, you know, let's stop shouting at our students. Don't let him get away with that. That is, you are not teaching your student anything by telling them that. And you're creating a sense of conflict and war between your student and their horse. And you're going to create bigger problems than you're going to fix. And it's, telling them to not let the horse get away is is you're just it's it's ineffective as a coaching protocol too because it doesn't give them any actual tools on how to repair the situation and it doesn't tell them how to be it doesn't educate them on how to be good horse trainers and ethical horse trainers and horse caregivers so as coaches we need to be doing a better job of teaching our students how to process and understand and observe and really dissect our horse's actions and what it could mean and then how to improve upon our horse's behavior and get the behavior that we would like to see in a manner that is effective and ethical at the same time.
Which kind of brings me into my next topic, my next idea, is our word choice. So word choices and the way we talk about our horses and the way we interact with our horses mentally in our minds and then it comes out in the way we act with them physically on a day-to-day basis so again if we're talking about our horses trying to get away with things if we're talking about our horses being malicious or difficult or um you know there's all kinds of other slightly inappropriate words that I could use that I hear horse people use all the time I hear people cuss about their horses all the time use terrible words especially with mares Uh, there's all kinds of words we use to describe them when they're acting up Um, we could also say things like they're being a bully or they are being stubborn or malicious or I've already said malicious a couple times or um, rude there's all these words but when we talk about our horses this way it predispositions us it creates this sense of treating our horse in a way that would be appropriate in our minds to respond to someone or something that is being rude or difficult or disrespectful or blah, 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 like you keep going, right? So if in our minds we're thinking, you know, if we're talking about another person, we're like, well, that person's just rude. You know, how would you treat that person, right? And while I would say that let's not talk about other people that way, let's have our same level of kindness and understanding and um, towards other people, and let's really try and problem solve versus just label and create these ways of thinking about people that justify our actions and make us feel like we're justified in feeling um, offended and like we should protect ourselves and be defensive and all of that. We need to be doing the same thing with our horses. We need to be um, really breaking down what it is that they're doing instead of labeling it. So your horse bites you. Okay, yes, that is physically very painful it's probably emotionally hurtful too you're like why did you just bite me we take things at a very deep emotional level we take it very personally Um, horses are far less personal they far less you know they don't tend to carry around baggage and hold grudges like we do Um, and they don't take things so personally and we can see this all the time in the herd environment horses will do something to another horse in like five seconds later they're bffs right Uh, we i hear this all the time they treat each other so terribly but as soon as we try and separate them they get really upset about it or you know one minute they're tearing each other apart and the next minute they're just totally chilling bffs so while we could talk about all of the uh, the reasons behind that idea of horses tearing each other up and why aggression is so high in domestic herds, um, that'll have to save for a different podcast episode. Um, w- we need to take a little bit of a piece of their book. You know, we need to really watch this and learn from this a little bit and stop taking our horses' actions towards us so personally. Because when we take things personally, we tend to physically respond to what our horses do in a very personal and emotional way. So when your horse bites, you're going to be prone to lashing out at them in anger and frustration and feeling justified in what you're doing and, and, you know, defending yourself and putting the horse in their place and uh, we will just respond and lash out out of emotion and rage and feeling offended and like they were coming after us and being personal when in reality your horse is probably biting at you because you missed all of their other forms of communication 
is they communicated to you that you cinching up the girth was extremely painful because they have a rib out or it's you know fixed or whatever word or maybe they have ulcers or something like that so they're communicating to you that the cinch is very very uncomfortable um, please stop you know they put their ears back they raise their head they tense their face they swish their tail they stomp a foot we ignored all of that and then finally they're like really lady you need to stop and they whip their head around and they bite at us well that was our fault we missed all of the other signs we completely ignored it we complete or we saw them and we just said well you're just being a sissy and like continued on doing what we were doing out of blind arrogance and us feeling like we're justified in whatever we feel like doing to our horses um and so we respond out of emotion and rage then to this response from the horse because we feel justified in what we have just done but we've completely missed the fact that we've we've blown over all of their forms of communication and have just plowed along doing whatever it is that we want to do and are using all of these words to justify what it is that we're doing and responding out of emotional rage. So that kind of went off on a little bit of a tangent. That wasn't exactly the concise little point I wanted to make. It was kind of a multi-point, which is that words we use perpetuate emotions and responding out of emotions rather than logic and rather than assessing our horse's behavior and figuring out what it is they're trying to communicate and all of that. Um, they also help us justify our own actions, whether they were right or wrong. And they are not, especially when they're wrong reactions, um, it's not helpful for effective and kind training. In, in just general handling of our horses. But then the other point it kind of bled into was um, the importance of understanding, seeing, and respecting our horse's form of communication, the, the, their way of telling us how they're feeling, what's going on, where there is a problem when a problem is starting to rise if we just completely ignore all of these signs if we just blow past them and we continue on our merry way because we've got to get this done we've got to go get our lesson you know we've got to get into the show round we've got to you know my trainer said just to have the horse suck it up um or you know even for from a trainer's perspective a lot of times we're tempted to blow past the horse's communications because we're on a deadline you know clients will only pay for so long or you know we feel like well um yes I know the cinch is a little uncomfortable but at least I'm not doing this or that to you so we there's different ways we'll justify uh blowing past forms of communication from the horse or um there will be um or we'll just be so focused on achieving a certain goal for the client that we will miss communications from the horse not that we did it intentionally we just happened to accidentally miss it so um when we do not listen to our horses when we don't see their forms of communication in the subtle form we create these bigger problems with it which then create the emotional roller coaster mentioned earlier um, but it also creates a sense of lack of understanding and communication and relationship between us and our horses when they are not listened to when we 
don't hear them when they try and try and try and communicate with us and we just blow past it. It's a one-sided relationship. So we can be kinder regardless of the type of training that we're using, regardless of whether it's traditional, regardless of whether you're in the show world, regardless of whether you're doing positive reinforcement or not. Um, just by listening to our horses more subtle forms of communication okay so back to some more very like bullet point practical application ideas of ways you can implement a little bit kinder interaction with your horse different ways you can directly apply this con these concepts into your day-to-day -day interactions with your horses some ideas I have for you are um, being a little bit more considerate about our horses hooves and how they feel horses hooves are actually a lot more they have a lot more feeling in them than a lot of us are ever taught as far as when a horse is getting thrush thrush is very very uncomfortable and painful for horses it's a an infection of the foot which has tissue in it that has to expand and contract and this is where all their weight their weight is bearing on their feet so treating thrush right away staying on top of it is extremely important changing the environment to prevent thrush from occurring also changing the diet to reduce the occurrence of thrush will help tremendously also being aware of the fact that when you clean out the feet if your horse has thrush this could be a painful process for your horse so um, be considerate of that Another idea is how you groom your horse. So back to previously mentioned about the mane pulling, the same idea I apply to, I apply to um, other areas of grooming, like currying. Some of my horses don't really like currying. Some of them don't like soft brushes. So letting your horse really communicate to you what forms of grooming they like will be very helpful to you. And even if you're not using a fully consent-based as far as like at liberty, your horse can walk away, um, or they give you start buttons and stuff like that, you can watch their subtle body language forms of communication to tell you what they like and don't like. And respecting that will be really important for building your relationship. Another really practical application idea is the concept of, sh or the app okay whatever the the process of using shaping plans and you can use this whether you're training traditionally or with positive reinforcement and everybody should be using this and actually the best trainers in the world the reason they're some of the best trainers in the world is because they understand shaping plans whether or not they realize it and the idea behind shaping plans is that you start off with a very small piece of the end goal that you're looking for. So you have an end goal of teaching your horse to back up, right? And you, if you're doing it traditionally, you, um, w the, you would break it apart into little, little tiny pieces. So if I want my horse to back up four steps, we're going to start off with not just taking one step back, but we're going to thin slice it all the way down to, can you just shift your weight back when I apply a little bit of pressure? So you'll start off with that very, very first tiny step of applying just a tiny bit of pressure and just holding it until you see that weight shift and then you release the pressure. And then you apply a little bit more again until you get that weight shift again, then you release the pressure. And then after two or three reps of that, then you'll go ahead and say, okay, we're ready for the next step. Uh, which means, you know, now you're looking for 
either a bigger weight shift backwards or your horse might offer a full step backwards at this point and then you keep building and that's a shaping plan when you set out to train a very specific behavior break it apart into little tiny pieces bite-sized pieces for your horse to understand and then build build on it like it's a lego building block set you have to start off with your first pieces and then you just keep building and building and building until you have this big beautiful you know construction but or lego set but in our horse world we are um, building a big beautiful behavior and that this idea applies all the way to okay we're starting off with a green horse a horse that has never been touched maybe a feral horse and eventually we want to go do a dressage course with them okay well let's shaping plan this to death and let's break it down into the first most tiny 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 little piece we can get our horse uh, that our horse will feel comfortable with and will easily understand and where they can be successful which then brings me to my next one which is training for your horse's success so we can do this in a lot of different ways one of the best ways is to set up the environment for success so if you um, you know you want to teach your horse how to uh, lead right and they've never led before or maybe back up or something like that try not to start off in an environment that's highly distracting there's other horses running around screaming and yelling there's other people training um, and you're distracted and you're stressed from your day or whatever it is instead Let's find a nice quiet training area with minimal distraction where they feel comfortable. Maybe they have a buddy nearby that's nice and peaceful. You have you taken you've taken the time after your stressful day to you know take some deep breaths, really process what the shaping plan is going to look like and then you step into the training area with a very uh, clear set of goals and a very um, step-by-step plan. And this will really help set you up for success. And then the next step is going to be finding that first thing that you know your horse can be successful at right away and building from there. So the trick to the shaping plans is that the first thing you start off with, your horse needs to be able to be successful at it very quickly. Like within a couple of seconds, they need to be successful at it. So setting your horse up for success, setting you up for success, setting up the training environment to help you guys be successful, and then creating a shaping plan that will help you guys be successful. These things all work together very smoothly and will really help build um, your relationship together and create a better sense of um, just empathy towards your horse and understanding and really perpetuate that idea of being kinder in our interactions with our horse. Some other ideas might be things like when I go to tack up my horses, I usually let them, or groom them even, I show them what I'm going to be doing uh, and before I do it, so I'll show them the brush and then I start brushing them. I will show them the saddle and then I'll go to put it on them. I will show them the halter and then I'll gently slide the halter up over their head. So I'm very, uh, as far not patient, but I am... I try and be very respectful of the fact that they don't, we're just expecting them to stand there and let them, let us do whatever we want to them. They're in a very susceptible, very um, vulnerable, that's the word, vulnerable position as far as we tie them up, we leave them out in the middle of nowhere, there's nobody's around as far as nowhere, meaning like you're, 
your walkway or your grooming stall or whatever. There might be some buddies nearby, but they're, they're trapped in this area. And then we come and go as we please and we throw all sorts of equipment on them. And then we take them out to the arena and then we ride them and then we put them back. And they are not allowed to do anything other than what we're asking them to do. Um, and they're just supposed to accept all of it without blinking an eye, right? So this is a very vulnerable position that we're putting our horses in. And while they are... Uh, can be absolutely prepared to do all of this in an ethical and kind way um, and they can handle it very very well and I'm not saying you shouldn't be doing these things we can take steps to help them feel more at ease and more in control of their environment and what's happening to them so you can even take this a step further if you want to and using the idea of start buttons which I'm not going to go into this in this podcast episode you can google it start buttons for animal training there's lots of information out there about it right now Um, but a quick example of this would be you know I won't get on my horse unless they come up to the mounting block. So I'll go stand on the mounting block and then they have to come, you know, they would come meet me at the mounting block and then I know that they're ready for me to get on. But if they don't come up to the mounting block, then they're not ready for me to get on and we do something else and then we try again or we don't that day. Um, That's an idea. That's a, that's a start button type behavior. Uh, And I know for a lot of you, you're probably like gasping, like, oh my gosh, will I ever get to ride my horse? My horse would never do that. But trust me, it's amazing. It's this amazing counterintuitive thing where the more control you give your horse, at first they'll start saying no more often, but then they start saying yes. And then the yeses start coming hard and they start coming fast and often, and they start saying yes more than they ever would have before. So at first, yes, there's a little bit of a you know, they stop saying, okay, they're being ridden. But as you continue with this this idea, this training protocol, and as you continue to apply giving them a sense of control in their training and in their environment, they start feeling way more confident and comfortable and saying yes because they know that you will respect a no. And that's the trick about it is respecting the no. And you could. This isn't so much a practical application for a lot of you, but for some of you, and, um, and, and you can even just be mulling on this idea even if you're not ready to use it. Understanding and respecting your horse's no for something is really key for building up a better relationship with your horse. If your horse doesn't want to take, I mean, I guess this is practical application, so I'll just go ahead. If your horse doesn't want to go over a fence, there's probably a reason. And you need to respect the no. Instead of fighting them for going out to go over, instead of using your crop and kicking them until they go over it, consider that they might be scared. Consider that they might need more time. Maybe they're not physically fit for it. Maybe it's uncomfortable to take this jump. It's okay to let your horse say no. It's okay to let them refuse a jump. This doesn't mean they have to continue refusing jumps, and this doesn't mean you should make this a habit or as far as, not a habit, but like, because that's not a good word to use with horse training, but... Um, it, it doesn't mean that this becomes your new norm, that they're just going to refuse all the fences. It just means that you're like, okay, this isn't normal for you. You refused it this time. Why? Let's go back and problem solve. Like I talked about earlier, let's figure out why you refuse this jump. Maybe I get off and I show you the jump. Maybe we figure it out and then we go over it. And the more often you do this, the more your horse will start to trust you that you're not going to take them over something that's super scary and you're also not going to punish them for being scared or punish them for saying no same thing with um with riding and the mounting block that example i gave earlier if i forced my horses to let me get on 
And maybe my horse, I've, I've talked about this before in another podcast episode. I have one horse in particular. She struggles from getting sore back uh, pretty often. She just has a longer back and she's downhill and it's just something we, we are aware of and we're working on. And she doesn't wear a saddle, so it's not from a saddle. But um, there are days where her back is more sore than others. And if I, um, I let her tell me when it's okay to be ridden and when it's not, And if she tells me that her back is sore by not coming up to the mounting block, then I respect that. And, um, and this has made a huge difference in the rest of our relationship and the, and our rides, our rides are the rides that she says yes, which are 90% of the time. I I haven't, I don't remember actually the last time she told me we're not going to do a ride. Um, those rides are a lot more safe now. She's less prone to bucking or crow hopping or bolting um, like she used to do all the time in rearing. She used to rear too because she's able to tell me when she's in pain. And those were those behaviors were symptoms of the pain happening and us not understanding or knowing what was going on. So allowing your horse to have a no and to communicate a no can keep you safe in the long run and also can prevent damage, further damage. Imagine if I just continued to really insist that she be ridden and that, you know, you must do this and whatever. I mean, it's going to cause more pain. Her back's going to get worse. We're going to have bigger and worse behavioral problems. It's going to be dangerous. Eventually she's going to throw me or, you know, I'm going to get dumped or whatever it is. And, um, and then I might break something. I mean, it could get really risky and dangerous, but if we would just listen to our horses telling us no, and telling us that something is wrong, then we could avoid a lot of these common injuries and problems that equestrians have. I mean, we're, you know, the injury rate for equestrians is really high. And I feel like it's only that high, um, because we don't listen to our horses. We don't hear them say no, we don't respect their, or hear and listen to their body language and them communicating that something is wrong. So if we could make a change there, I feel like we could reduce the risk level of being an equestrian. I see a lot of people that are super proud of how many times they've fallen off or, um, that they bucked out this horse or, you know, I see all the time like, oh yeah, equestrian, you know, being a horseback rider isn't a sport. Well, why is it that, you know, and then they show a picture of some horse and rider just absolutely getting destroyed, falling over a fence or something like that. And I'm just like, why are we proud of that? Why are we proud of pushing our horses past their nose, past them telling us that they're done, that they can't do it, and then injuring us and injuring the horse. And anyway, I could go on a huge tangent about this. Um, I'm not saying that horses aren't, you know, isn't a risky sport. And um, I'm not saying that it's not a sport. And I'm not saying that you can't do high level, you know, performance and that it's going to be perfectly safe every time. But I'm saying, I think we could dramatically reduce the risk level if we started listening to our horses a lot more. All right. Well, I feel like I have rambled on long enough for this podcast episode and I could honestly just go and go and go. And I hope there's some practical application stuff in here for you. I know I went on some more like big picture concept stuff. Um, but you know, and I could probably do a part two to this as well. And I think that might be, um, you know, I'll think about some more ideas as they come up, some more things that I hear people refer to or say, and, 
Um, actually, even as I'm saying this, I'm thinking of more ideas of things you could do. But hopefully this gives you a good place to start. And maybe next time, next episode will be part two to this. I'll write down some ideas and maybe it'll be a little bit less tangenty. Um, but yeah, and also feel free to send me ideas. Uh, I would love to get, you know, if you have ideas of just some practical application, like things like if you... Maybe you're at a traditional barn and you see this all the time and it's like, it would just be so simple if you did this, or it would make it so much easier if you did this, or what is like a thing that is something that seems so simple or so easy to you now, but wasn't, you know, however long ago because you didn't know better, right? You didn't, or you didn't, it just seems pointless or whatever it was like for whatever reason you didn't do it but now you do it and you're like this just makes life so much better my horses are so much happier and it's so easy it's just something you can do and it's not a uh, broad concept clicker training positive reinforcement all of that like I would love to hear suggestions maybe we could create like a a series so if you want to message me on Instagram at the willing equine or email me at info at the willing equine.com um, I'm also on Twitter, Willing Equine, or um, Facebook, at the Willing Equine. And um, let's see, you can also voice message me here on Anchor. This is the podcast uh, hosting service I use. So that would be fine as well if you want to voice message me ideas. Um, but the other two platforms will probably be better. And I would love to hear any ideas you have. And let's just create a series of like practical application. I might end up doing a blog post for it as well. Um, but I think the podcast form is good too, cause I can kind of just talk and get it all out, flush it out. Um, yeah. So I would love to hear just something simple. Think about what is something that a person who's just taking riding lessons at a boarding facility or training facility could do to make their horse's life a little bit better, even though it's not their own. And then what are some ideas that somebody who owns a horse that isn't ready to switch over to consent based or positive reinforcement or all that, um, or maybe they never will. Maybe it's not that they're not ready. They just don't feel like that's the best pathway and that's fine. Um, what is something that you feel like could be applied to a traditional training program or um, a very, you know, anyway, so to make it more empathetic and um, understanding of the horse and kinder to the horse and um, may help improve the relationship. I would love to hear any of those ideas, uh, whether, you know, anyway. So, yeah, just send them to me through those platforms, and I look forward to part two of this. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more, head to my website, thewillingequine.com. On there, I have a really extensive blog. I'm a very prolific writer. And I also have a an FAQ page. And the FAQ has all kinds of things. It has questions and answers about training and about my training specifically, as well as just general about working with positive reinforcement. There's also sections on there about health and um, behavior. So all of that. I'm also on a lot of different social media platforms, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. So check those out and I'd love to hear from you. So don't hesitate to email or send me a message.